What's up, guys? I'm Tyler, and here with me, as always, is my co-host Curtis, and we are glad to welcome you back to this latest edition of the Glory UGA podcast. It was, uh, I guess I would call this past weekend a solid weekend of Georgia sports. Uh, the men's and women's tennis teams kind of kept doing what they do. Uh, with home, and the the guys tennis team, the men's tennis team actually had a great weekend. We actually clinched at least a share of the SEC title yet again. The fifth straight and fortieth overall took down Florida, the dominating win over Florida, six one on Friday. Guys are now eleven zero in SEC play, and if we win at uh, Texas A&M, who is ten and one in the SEC right now, if we win there next Saturday, we'll actually win the title outright. Uh, so they're doing what they do. The baseball team, I don't know, man. After taking the first they game do of the series, what they do, which is stay losing. Yeah, they kind of tennis teams doing what they do, and the baseball team is kind of just doing what they've been doing the past couple of years. I mean, I, I will say I I keep kind of getting pulled back in because you know if you watch the the Thursday night game where with the, that first pitch was like nine o'clock, we took that first game of the series, and that was actually against a pitcher who's probably going to go top five, top ten in the draft. Well, see, I think that one had a little bit to do with the fact that. Mizzou didn't get here to about six thirty-seven. Yeah, their travel uh, affairs—they had major issues for a couple of days there. Flights yeah, so getting I grounded. Think, I think that was the biggest problem because Saturday and or Friday, Saturday kind of saw more of who they were. Yeah, man, it, it kind of pulled me back in. Though. I was like, all right, I'm trying to—I—I I, want to believe. I want to believe, guys. You know, we win a road series in the league at Tennessee, although Tennessee's not very good. We still won a series. We won that first game against Missouri. I wanted to believe, but then course friday and saturday we kind of revert back to what we've been all year because i mean just like they always say you are who you are um yeah so i mean i don't know it's it just it's frustrating just when you think the diamond dogs taking a positive step we can seem to kind of take two steps back and you were at the game tuesday night against clemson right yeah it was where like where for you where is this team right now has there, has there been any progress for this baseball team based on what well, you yeah, saw I mean, this week they, they pitched a little bit better um but you know they're very very sloppy I think we're getting that. better. Like we're showing signs. Like Giss had a really good game on Thursday, but we don't hit the ball well enough. It's just always a struggle. The pitching—it's been this way all year, where we'll pitch really well for a stretch and then not hit anything, and then the bats will come alive, and then we'll start giving up crazy amounts of runs. We just can't put it all together, and it's kind of been that way all year. Hopefully that we turn it around, but time's getting short in the season here. But anyway, guys, uh, we know. That football is what you all live and breathe for, just like us. So that is what we're going to focus on today. In particular, we're going to focus on the first spring scrimmage that was held in Sanford Stadium Saturday afternoon. Uh, I was fortunate enough to kind of get a chance to take in about half of the scrimmage. And with Kirby kind of eschewing Rick's old practice of releasing scrimmage stats to the public. Remember when Rick used to do that? He would release yeah. those scrimmage stats and we'd all like kind of just, we would just like be... See, they're just waiting for him to drop those little nuggets of wisdom on us on what happened in the scrimmage, just kind of eating them up. But we don't get those anymore. So since we don't get that much information coming from the head man himself out of uh, out of the scrimmages, I thought you guys might be interested, maybe a little bit, in some of my observations of the scrimmage. So we'll get to all that momentarily. Before we do, just a quick uh, couple business items here to run through. If you're newer to the show... And you don't know where to find us on the social me- in the social media world, you can follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. And if you are more old school, you can also email us at GloryUGAPodcast at gmail.com. Really, either way works for us, so just whatever works for you guys. We definitely appreciate and welcome the interaction. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play so that you are automatically alerted when any new shows are posted. And uh, along with that, we would... 
definitely greatly appreciate it if you had a second or two, if you could give us a quick review on iTunes or really any of those other platforms. That would definitely help the show out as we try to expand a little bit and uh, would definitely be awesome. But Kurt, enough of that. Let's talk about this scrimmage, man. And I know, unfortunately, you were not able to take in the scrimmage. You were in Athens on Friday night, but had to check out uh, out of town before the scrimmage. You weren't actually there to see it. But I, I still want to bring you into this anyway, so you can kind of give your take on some of the things I saw. So I'll kind of give you some of the observations that I saw. We can kind of talk through it a little bit together. But uh, before we do that, real quick, I do just want to offer a disclaimer of sorts. Look, uh, I'm at the tail end of training for a marathon right now. Uh, I'm, I'll be running at the end of this month, and I actually had my last long training run on Saturday, Saturday, which was a 20 miler. It was uh, it was fun. The first 15 miles miles or so weren't too bad. Then I almost died. Need a little fuel, but it's all good. Uh, so since I was tied up with that for the better part of the morning, I ended up only getting to take in about half the scrimmage, which is a little bit more than an hour or so. So obviously, that being said, there are some things that I didn't see, and what I did see was through my own eyes. And as we all know, different people can see the same event in very different ways. We always interpret things differently. You're looking for different things. So I'm just one dude. Um, so what I saw is just what I saw. But I will tell you what I saw at the scrimmage. Um, and I am going to also, though, try to stay away from talking about like specific formations and plays as much as I can here, and really just try to stay away from revealing anything schematic-wise that I think our coaches may want to keep under wraps. Because trust me, guys, the last thing that I want to do is to do anything that would hurt our program. But at the same time, I know a lot of you are probably interested in what went down the scrimmage, so let's go ahead and get to it. And let's, uh, Kurt, why don't we start with what seems to always draw a lot of interest and that is the quarterback position. I guess I would start by saying this pretty simply. Both of the guys from and Eason both looked really good. Um, Eason, uh, what you've heard coming out of camp from some of the reporters, uh, it, it does seem to ring true what I saw. He really does seem much more in control, much more confident, much more assertive out there, not afraid to coach guys up on the side there. Somebody makes a mistake or in the huddle. He's got the command. Uh, and I think, uh, Kern, you and I were talking about this a little bit before the show. I think that's helping some of his accuracy issues that kind of plagued him last year. Because what I saw, the Jacob Eason I saw on Saturday, now granted, this is just a scrimmage setting. It's not a, a game setting. Now, it's it, you know, there's some live bullets flying at you. But he was much more accurate than I saw him at any point in his freshman campaign. And I I think a lot of that, and tell me if you disagree, I think a lot of that has to do with feeling more comfortable, more confident there, because you're not making reads late, and if you make your read late, you know, you kind of panic, and your mechanics kind of fly out the window. He's not having those problems right now. He feels confident. He seems to know where to go with the ball. Uh, he's making those quick decisions, being able to read and recognize defenses a little quicker and see what the coverages are. He knows where to go with the ball. Uh, he looked really good, man. He really, really did. He has definitely, as I said, improved on his accuracy. And basically every route on the trio, whether it's a nine route, a go route down the sideline, uh, corner routes, things across the middle of the field, those intermediate dig routes, out routes. I mean, he was hitting everything and was very, very accurate with the football. Uh, on the other, on the, I guess on the other side, but the other guy, Jake Fromm, who you guys know I'm high on, so I'm just going to make sure I throw that out there. You guys know, you know, full disclosure here. But I didn't see anything from Fromm that – that kind of discouraged me in any way whatsoever from from kind of and, and kind of getting me to back off what I've been saying about him all along. Fromm is going to be the real deal, guys. Like he really, absolutely is. He's an accurate passer. He did have a, a, a one or two throws, kind of sell him a little bit, but he was on the mark the vast majority of the time. 
Uh, he hit a couple of corner routes on the right side, and they were just absolutely gorgeous. And he's unafraid out there, man. He is. He's out there and he's competing. He's not the the new the new guy who's kind of like in his shell there who doesn't really feel comfortable on the field. He is unafraid. He is letting the ball rip. There were some mistakes. Maybe he had one really bad pick or it was a bad read, but he's a freshman. That's going to happen. Um, he's also one thing I noticed about Fromm seeing him in that live saying he's more mobile than what people give him credit for. And I'll just say this: based on what I saw, I don't want to give anything really specifically away here, but based on some things I saw. We might have some plans to use Fromm's mobility at some point this year. There were quite a few things where I saw some design quarterback run type stuff. So that was very interesting for me to see. So I don't want to get any more detail than that, but there definitely seems to be some sort of plan to use that at some point. Uh, I still think Eason hangs on to the job because while Fromm is better than your typical freshman, he just still isn't where Eason is right now. You know what I mean, Kurt? Yeah, I mean... I know exactly what you mean. Like, he looks good for where he is and the timing and everything. But that year of experience really does, you know, create a big separation. It, it, it just does. I mean, from, for a freshman, he is way ahead of the game for a typical freshman. But the fact is, he's not competing against the freshman. He's competing against the sophomore who has a full year of experience under his belt. And at this point, as good as Fromm has been relative to his classification and being this, he's literally just been on, cam- been on campus for, what, like three, four months now? Given where he, where, where he is in his career, he looks very good. But he still doesn't look quite to. The, he doesn't look as good as Eason. He's close. It's not that far off. There's not a huge separation between them. Eason's still the more comfortable, confident guy out there, and that's pretty clear to tell when you look at them. Um, you know, I, I've said going into this this competition that for Fromm to win the job, he would have to be clearly better, like head and shoulders above better than Eason. And based on what I saw, it was one scrimmage. We'll, we'll, we'll all get a chance to look at it in G, at G Day. But in this one scrimmage. He's not necessarily too far off of Eason. The gap isn't significant, but you can't say at this point that Fromm is clearly better. I think Eason still clearly has an edge on him at this point. Um, but, Kurt, you and I were also talking before the show, and one thing I will, I will say this. I will say this. I, w- I think Eason it should count his blessings that he came in a year ahead of Fromm because if they came in in the same year, I truly think that Fromm would have beaten him out. If Fromm came in last year as opposed to a year after Eason has a chance to get a year under his belt. And that's and again, that's based on one scrimmage. I mean, as far as you can tell, one scrimmage, and that's admittedly a very small sample size. But I just, by watching that scrimmage and knowing what I know about Fromm from watching him at camps and in game settings, I think he's a good bit ahead of where Eason was this time a year ago. If you, flat, if you rewind it to Eason this time a year ago. But the problem is for Fromm, he's just not ahead of where Eason is right now, given Eason's year of experience. So, I don't know. But, Kirk, I guess my question for you in regards to the quarterbacks is, based on what I saw on Saturday, I mean, we're clearly in very good shape for the next five to six years with Eason and Fromm. I mean, Eason showed me he's ready to take that next step, and Fromm is way ahead of the game for your typical freshman. So, here's the question for you. With both these guys looking like they could contribute, I mean, obviously Eason can contribute. I mean, he was our starter all of last year. But both guys look like they are good enough to play. Do you foresee any possible situation where we play both Eason and Fromm this season where they're both getting meaningful snaps? I don't see where they're both getting meaningful snaps, but I wouldn't be shocked if you see them try to get him a series here and there, you know, in a game, especially in one that's not a tight game. Um, you know, they, like Kirby really put a big emphasis on it, I think, last week or the week before, talking about how he didn't like the fact that we never really beat any opponents bad where we weren't able to get some of these younger guys some meaningful snaps when they should have. Right. Um, so I think that, and I think a lot of it comes down to, too, is how quickly they want to burn his red shirt. 
Well, that, and that you bring up the idea like hey, we want to actually beat teams, the teams that we should destroy. We want to absolutely suck the life out of them. But if we get in a situation like that where you would put Fromm in, or you put your backup in for like uh, for cleanup duty, basically for mop up work, do you burn Fromm's red shirt for that situation just to have him ready in case an injury happens to hit East and we have to have him, or do you save that's, that red yeah, shirt? I think that's a big big thing too, like you said, like for beating him that bad. You would hope Sam Bond could do it, or someone like that. Or Stetson that. Bennett, who's coming in as a preferred walk-on, who, I, from what I hear, I haven't seen much of him. I hear he's actually a pretty legitimate quarterback. We'll see. Well, and I, I agree. I think that's the real question, is just how much do they want to do? And, you know, what, what is their plan? Because they could easily, you know, put him in, and he could play a snap or two here and there. But, yeah, I and mean, we could. And Kirby keeps – I feel like – I don't know. Maybe I'm just reading too much into it. I feel like Kirby's kind of intimated that, though, that Fromm is here to play, and we expect him to play. I think he's actually flat out said that in one of his press conferences. We expect Fromm to play. And I, I, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, for me, ideally – and, look, I'm not the coach. They, they, These guys do this for a living, so I, I would defer to them. But as – sitting where I am, I want to preserve Fromm's red shirt so that we can have him for – at least two, hopefully three years after the fact that Eason leaves, if, he, if Eason does indeed leave after his junior season. Where do you fall on that? I mean, I would ideally like that to be the case, too. Um, that's where I, I just don't know. I think, he, like you said, he would be ready to go, and it would be good to give him some snaps, but I wouldn't want to waste his red shirt, especially on some, uh, you know, not meaningful snaps. Screw you, Bryce Ramsey. Seriously, dude. Come on, man. You left in this, in this position. No, I'm just kidding. Bryce has been a great bulldog. He's been a damn good dog. He deserves to have a chance to go play somewhere. But I, I will say, when like that news hit me hard when I heard that Bryce was officially transferring because I want us to be able to save from his redshirt, have him redshirt this season. I thought that was best for our program's long-term future. And Bryce kind of being that stopgap there would have allowed us to, to essentially do that. Without Bryce, though, I don't know. Because what if, what if, I mean, it's the worst-case scenario, but what if something happens to Eason? You want to have a guy ready to play, you know? Because what if you know, what if we're in the midst of the SEC East championship run here, and we look like we're about to make about to win the East, and then Oops Eason gets hurt in the Florida game or the Missouri game, and we still got to we got to win some games to wrap it up. You want to have a guy that's ready to play, but at the same time, you also want to preserve Fromm's registers. I don't know. It's I mean an interesting question here to follow over the next couple of months. Uh, all right, next thing here. Um, now, I'll just we'll, we'll talk about the offense a little bit here. As odd as it is for me to say this, based on what we saw from our offense last season, I mean, because it was it was putrid, man. Like it was bad. We all know that. But at least in this one scrimmage setting that I saw, the half of the scrimmage I saw, the offense had a better day than the defense did Saturday. Um, and that's kind of something that Kirby's been harping on all spring. The, the kind of the complacency is what the word he's using. The complacency in the defense. And I'll be honest, like when I heard, heard Kirby say this throughout the, the spring to this point, I kind of took it as coach speak, right? You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's just trying to motivate the defense. Because that's kind of, he sends, he's not above sending messages uh, to the team via his press conference. He does that all the time. But really, after taking the scrimmage on Saturday, I saw exactly what Kirby's been talking about. I mean, our offense, whether it's the first unit, the second unit, it didn't matter. We ran the ball almost at will. And that's even that's that's without Nick and Sony getting much work at all. They didn't get much work really at all. Maybe we get a little bit in the goal line running some, some some certain looks, but even with Harry and Holyfield back, they're probably gonna be our number three, number four back. Well, depending on what DeAndre Swift does when he comes in, we ran the football very well. And even on our first unit defense, we were hitting vertical shots down the field. We were scoring in the red zone, which if you watched us play last year, you know we did not do at all. I mean, the offense was flat out doing work. But I mean, that's one of the things. When you watch a scrimmage like this, 
If someone on one unit looks good, that means that someone else across from them is looking bad. If the defense was dominating, we right now we'd be wringing our hands over how the offense isn't taking that next step that we didn't take this year. So, Kurt, for you, at this point in the spring, one scrimmage in, admittedly, small sample size, one scrimmage in, are you at all concerned the defense isn't flat-out dominating our offense considering how bad the offense struggled last year? Um, You know, I, I like to say I'm not because I can't count the number of times this happened in the past where the defense or offense, one or two, hasn't been, you know, performing what up to expectations, especially in the spring, and then they put it more together in the, uh, the fall. And I think one thing that we're not talking about also is the fact that we're cross-training people more in positions right. that they haven't been playing before this this spring, which is, you know, you know, not getting the same amount of reps they're used to at the regular position. I mean, but you see Malcolm Parrish moving back and taking some quite a few reps to safety and star. I mean, you're seeing a lot of that, and I think sometimes that has an impact on things. Yeah, and I think one thing you got to remember here, and maybe this this can't explain all of it, but you have to factor in that two of our our best defensive players up the middle of that defense and Trent Thompson and Roquan Smith aren't out there right now. Yeah, I mean, and, and also one thing that takes away from defense, you can say what you want, but I think sometimes the physicality of the defense isn't there because off, they can hurt offensive players so easily. Sometimes. And you can't tackle. No. You, in practice, you don't tackle. Uh, there's a lot of NCAA legislation that's kind of limited the amount of contact you can have in practices. You only get so many practices. You, don't, you, know, you say you don't want to hurt guys. And Kirby Flat admitted after the, the scrimmage in his post-scrimmage press conference, like, yeah, the tackling was bad, which it was. I mean, he, it was not pretty uh, on the defense side of the ball trying to bring ball carriers down. But he admitted that part of that is that they just don't get much work doing it. This is really the first time they've actually been able to go live and tackle people fully to the ground. He wants I mean, to see if, that knockback stuff. If you want reason about that, maybe some of you guys out there have uh, watched that clip that Mississippi State hit, which ended their spring practice. Yeah, oh, Jonathan Abram, right? Yeah. Yeah, transfer from, from here, actually, and is at Mississippi State now. Yeah, and that was vicious. And they, they just, at the end, yeah, they just, I mean, if you guys didn't catch that, they flat out, it was, it was towards the end of the scrimmage, but they ended it. After that, it, it, Dan Mullen called targeting on Abrams, which it clearly was, and said, we're done, we're just not practicing anymore today, no more scrimmage. So, um, yeah, and so that's that's the argument against going all this full contact because you don't want to hurt your own guys. So, and it's a fine line. Like, you want to get your guys on defense enough work to when they get in a game setting, they actually know what they're doing and can play fundamentally sound football, but you don't want to hurt people. So you got to kind of walk that line, and that's that's tough. And you could tell it was our first scrimmage in a while because there was there was a lot of rust there in terms of bringing ball carriers down. Uh, so I, I don't know. You're right, though, Kurt. I, I think that we all get – up in arms at this time, this time of year with the spring, you know, one unit looks good, one unit looks bad, and we kind of start freaking out. Whatever unit that didn't look good, we start freaking out about it. But the time the season rolls around, things seem to kind of level out more often than not. Uh, all right, I do want to run through a couple other quick things I saw on the offensive side of the ball. Then I'll flip it over to the defense. Uh, some about the offensive line. This is a source of concern for a lot of people, including myself. Uh, the first unit offensive line uh, was exactly what it has been reported as being in the media since basically week one, uh, which was what we have. We had Isaiah Wynn at left tackle. We had Pat Allen at left guard, had Gilliard at center. We had Kinley at right guard, and then we had Dyshawn Sims at right tackle. However, Kinley did go out. I think it was his angel. His ankle, angel. His ankle ended up hurting, and then the first guy off the bench would have been was Alden Bynum. He was the, basically our sixth man, pretty much like during the scrimmage. Um, we're definitely bigger on the interior right now with guys like Kinley when he was healthy and in there. And Pat Allen's actually gotten a lot bigger than I last remember seeing him. And we were able to get some push up front, which 
you know, we didn't get much of any of that last year. In fact, we were the ones getting pushed back into our own backfield. Very rarely were we stopped the line of scrimmage on rush attempts, which is very encouraging to see. Uh, ben, Cle- ben Cleveland was working exclusively uh, as the number two right tackle. Uh, Chris Barnes was working at guard a little bit. He worked a little bit at center, but I saw him mainly working at guard, which surprised me a good bit there on the second team. Kendall Baker got work uh, both inside at guard and outside at tackle on the second team. Uh, I was I was impressed. I was I was encouraged, let's say, by what I saw in the offensive line. We weren't getting bull rushed. We weren't getting thrown back in our own backfield. Pass rush wasn't dominating. We weren't giving up too many sacks in some of those third down situations. So I felt solid about that. Do you have? How do you feel? I know you didn't get to see it on Saturday, but how do you feel the offensive line where we stand right now, based on what you've heard? Um, I've heard some more encouraging things, which you know I'm not going to take much till we get to closer to the season. But it would be nice just to you know just to be able to actually push people forward instead of us going backwards every time. I think you're right. I, I agree with you, and I think the size on the interior is going to help us there. Kenley's a big dude, man. He's a really big dude. Like I said, Pat Allen looks a lot bigger than he has in the past. And who knows, with some of the freshmen they get on campus, whether it's Notori Johnson, Justin Schaefer, uh, Isaiah Wilson, maybe at right tackle, who knows where these guys end up. Maybe they'll be able to add some depth there. Maybe they'll be able to push for a starting spot. I don't know. But we definitely look to have more beef on the interior than what we had last year. And I think that's going to be key for us trying to run the football and kind of impose our will like we seem to want to do uh, moving forward. Um, so about wide receiver here real quick. Uh the one guy that probably stood out to me the most was Terry Godwin. He got work both in the slot and on the outside with the, with the number one unit. He looked really sharp, man. He really did. He ran some very, very crisp routes, which was not surprising. That's kind of what Terry does. He was plucking the ball out of the air effortlessly and really just generally getting some very good separation. Uh, on one play in particular, he absolutely burned Malcolm Parrish for a long touchdown on a sick kind of out-and-up type move out of the slot. So Kurt... Based on what I saw there from Terry, and we've talked about Terry a lot over the past year or so, do you think this year might be a year where Terry finally proves to be that go-to type wide receiver? It wouldn't shock me because I feel like he's finally in a position where he belongs. I think he's another guy. Talk about Easton feeling more confident, confident and comfortable in the system. I think Terry's starting to feel that way too. At least it looked based on one scrimmage, it, it seemed that way. But he... He, he was flashing that five-star potential that we were hoping he would show from day one. And maybe that's, and those were clearly some unfair expectations to put on a guy like that. But he was certainly flashing that ability that we were hoping that he would show from day one. Just haven't quite seen it that consistently. So I, I think there's a really good chance that he might end up being that go-to wide receiver for us in the 40 to 45, maybe maybe outside chance of 50-type reception year. But that would be a huge year for him in, in this offense. Uh, here's another guy that really flashed me at wide receiver that I think people are, are kind of sleeping on right now, and that's Tyler Simmons. Tyler Simmons, McEachin High School, a late pickup, a late flip from Alabama in the 2016 class. Curry brings the Bulldog to his house. Uh, and I'll say, man, Simmons does not even look like the same player. He is really bulked up, has some good weight over the offseason. And, man, he was making impressive catch after impressive catch with me. And he was mainly working with the, with the second unit. Actually, I don't, don't really remember him getting – Maybe a few reps were the ones, but mainly with the second. Uh, he and Fromm in particular hooked up on a beautiful corner route on the right sideline where Fromm kind of laid it in perfectly over the defender's outstretched hands, and Simmons showed outstanding concentration, body control, and really just outright skill in hauling him in under tight coverage. I really think he's going to be a guy that's going to be able to help us out this year. But, um, again, based on what I saw in one scrimmage, but he looked good. He looked the part. 
Jason Stanley was back out there after suffering a concussion earlier, I think maybe last week. Uh, but he was in blast. It wasn't full go. And for me, man, I know a lot of people are very interested in Miko Hardman as Kirby calls it the Miko fascination. But based on what I saw at the scrimmage, it looks like Miko, that move to offense is a very real thing. Because in the time I was out there, he was playing offense exclusively. Now, he was with the second unit at the slot position, but he was all offense all the time. And he was actually mainly matched up with uh, old D'Angelo Gibbs, true freshman early enrollee. And you can, with Miko right now, you can tell that he doesn't exactly know everything that's going on at that position at all times. But also, you can say at the same time, the explosiveness and that his just flat-out athletic ability is obvious. And he was very, very dangerous on those option routes and running some of those RPOs, which I saw quite a few of. Uh, so with Miko Kurt, I know we talked about him a little bit over the past week or so, but are you completely cool with us potentially having Miko make that full-time move to offense right now? Um, Yeah, I'm definitely okay with it, especially if, if it's, you know, what he's better at. Um, then you got to really put him in there. I mean, if that's where he's going to be the biggest playmaker, especially with the – DB class we kind of brought in, they might be ready about the same time. So if that's the case, then you know I'd rather have Nicole where he can do something with the ball in his hands. Yeah, we said last week, Nicole's. I, I still think he's a little bit. For, he's a, he's a good bit away as a DB, but right now you plug him on offense and he can be a difference maker right away. And I think our coaches are kind of seeing that uh, by virtue of the fact that he was offense exclusively on Saturday at the scrimmage. Uh, also, I'm talking about the tight ends for a minute here. If Saturday, if Saturday scrimmage was any indication. Our tight ends are going to finally play a major factor in our offense. I know it's been a long time, and we've kind of been hoping for that over the past couple of years, and we keep hearing that's going to happen, but it hasn't exactly come to fruition. Although, not had a pretty solid freshman season, just a little under 30 catches. Now, again, this is just one scrimmage, but more often than not, we had multiple tight ends on the field. And not only do we have multiple tight ends on the field, but we were getting them the football. Uh, in red zone drills, when we went, when we went down in the red zone, we, a couple times we split Warner out wide, had Nauta in line as the inline tight end. In the Easton, there was one play in particular. You and I were talking about this before the show, Kurt. Easton hooked up with Warner on a beautiful fade route in the back right corner of the end zone for a touchdown. It was an awesome throw. Put it right where his receiver with his, or his tight end, I guess the receiver, could go get it. Warner really had to fight to come down with it, but he came down with it. And you can tell that Charlie is still very much learning how to become a tight end. He's still not a finished product there. Nauta is ahead of him. Right now, in my opinion, just in terms of knowing how to play the position, because he's been doing it a lot longer than Warner has. Warner played a lot of different positions in high school, where Nada really was a tight end. Um, so not as ahead of the game in those terms, but I, I'm going to stick with my opinion that long-term, if the light ever goes on for Warner as a tight end, in my opinion, he has the bigger upside. Uh, don't get me wrong, Nada's awesome. He had a couple of nice touchdown catches, too, particularly in the red zone work that we were putting on. But, um, Kurt, if you had to say right now, if I had to ask you right now, and again, this is just pure speculation, but would, does one of our tight ends lead us in catches in 2017? No, I think they'll have quite a few catches, but I think with the emergence of someone like a Terry Godwin better off in the slot where he is, things like that, that might give him a better opportunity to lead us in catches. Yeah, and you also got to factor in the tight ends. Since we like to use multiple tight ends, we're going to spread... Yeah, it's not like we're... Uh, when uh, Chaney was at Arkansas, he had just Hunter Henry. No, you've right. got two legitimate pass catchers. Yeah, and you also have Blazevich in there. And what do you call it? Six passes, seven passes last year, but he still might get a few. And you got Jackson Harris. The ball is going to go around to, to various tight ends. It's not, like you said, it's not going to be like a Hunter Henry who gets every single pass that's thrown to the tight end because he's the only one that really plays since he's a significant amount of time. 
Uh, running backs look great, which is, I'm sure, no surprise anyone out there. Uh, really, Nick and Sony did not get a ton of work, which I'm cool with. Are you cool with that? Yeah. Like they, they, right now, we, we know what we have Nick and Sony. We don't need to get them to get her. I was totally cool with that. Um, really, Harry and Holyfield, for the most part, carried the load. And, hey, man, I'm going to tell you this, dude. Do not forget about this guy, Prather Hudson, okay? He's a, a, a walk-on. He's a redshirt freshman walk-on. That dude impressed me, man. I never really get to see him, and or I guess maybe never really pay much attention to him. But he really can play, and he got a lot of work out there along with Harry and Holyfield. And I'm telling you, if we had to rely on Prather Hudson in a pinch, if everyone got hurt, I think we might be okay. But looks like we're probably not going to have to rely on him because the running back depth is pretty solid right now. But Harry and Holyfield both look really good. Holyfield looked good, and he did nothing to kind of diminish my opinion of him. I've, you guys know if you listen to the show, I've had a pretty high of opinion of Holyfield since he came out of high school. But Harrion also really, really looked good. He broke off a couple of explosive runs. There was one run in particular that Harrion had off the left. It looked like it was an outside zone that he cut around the corner and just kind of took off, turned on the jets, and uh, he sh- he sh- he kind of displayed some speed that I didn't know he had. He did, believe it or not, though, he got caught from behind by Lorenzo Carter. Lorenzo Carter was the one who came from the other side of the field to catch him and so I mean Lorenzo look I, I know he's a guy that may he may never live, live up to that five-star building he had come out of high school but the guy is playing hard man yeah and that hasn't always been the case with him but right now he under Kirby he's really picked up the activity and he's really picked up that hustle and that was evidenced by him flat out chasing down Harry from behind him he looked like he was shot out of a cannon chasing Harry and down but running backs looked really good uh looked like we we're in really good shape there so offensively man I was very encouraged and impressed by what I saw. Again, one scrimmage. We'll see how it translates moving forward when we get into actual game action, but it, it certainly was encouraging. Now, let's flip it over to the defense here real quick. Um, so go through a couple guys. Natres Patrick, to me, was the best player in our defense, hands down. Now, Trent Thompson wasn't out there playing. Roquan Smith wasn't participating. So, of the guys that were out there, to me, it was clear. Natres Patrick was our best player out there on Saturday. And we did some really interesting things with him. Uh, when we went to um, third down work, we actually had some packages where we were working with him coming off the edge as a pass rusher. Does that surprise you at all, Kurt? Uh, no, because, uh, you know, like you and I were talking about before, that's really what he came to Georgia as. Yeah, and we, and we made the transition. We transitioned him to inside linebacker, which I think was a really good move. Because he has that versatility, he's he, and I think he's been a really good inside linebacker. What would you say, Kurt, if I told you, if I were to say to you that we had the best inside linebacker duo in the SEC, if we with Natrus Patrick and a healthy Roquan Smith, what would you say to that? I'd say that's a pretty strong statement. Would you agree? I think it, a case could be made. I mean, you got to see what Bama trots out. Yeah, you always got to consider Bama, but I mean, you're you're losing some guys there. At Alabama, I mean, then they of course they they recruit lights out. You know, they're always number one. They always plug and play somebody there. But it, I'll just say this: it's hard to for me to look across the SEC and point out an inside linebacking duo and say they're flat out better than what we have with Natrez and Roquan. I really like what we have there at inside linebacker. I think that might be the outside of maybe running back. I think inside linebacker might be our strongest position group. It's not this not the deepest position group. But in terms of the, the top talent there with Natrez and Roquan, you, you can throw in Reggie Carter too. I think that might be, outside of a running back, maybe our, our best position grouping. Uh, defensive line was solid, but, I mean, nothing spectacular. Really, like I said, we were kind of run the ball at will. I was not thrilled with that. I was hoping some of these young guys, the guys who were young last year, got a lot of playing time, would take another step. And maybe they will. Besides the first scrimmage, so they, there's some room to grow. 
but we gave it way too much on the ground. Does that concern you at all at this point, Kurt? No, no. Not at all? Especially with Trent not being in there. And like we were saying earlier, you know, how little we could hit. Yeah, I mean, you got to factor all that in for sure. Uh, I will say the pass rush was probably the defense's saving grace on Saturday. They weren't getting a massive amount of pressure, but considering where we were coming from last year, I thought we were able to get some good pressure with Patrick Carter, Walker, those kind of guys. And Nature's Patrick is probably our best pass rush. When we went to those third down looks, uh, when he was coming off the edge, I mean, he, he looked really good coming off the edge, tough to block. Uh, Malcolm Parrish, you mentioned him a little bit, trying to move him around. At least for the time I was out there, again, a little over an hour uh, of the scrimmage, the time I was out there, Malcolm Parrish was running as our first team star. Like, he wasn't playing outside. He was playing in the slot, over covered up over a slot receiver as our first team star player. Uh, with DeAndre Baker at one corner, and then Tyreek McGee, who played some special teams for us last year, but didn't really see much time at all. We had him as the starting corner with the first unit on the other side. Are you comfortable with that look with having uh, Malcolm Parrish inside at star? Um, a little bit because he's probably one of the better tacklers right now. That's that's how I see it. But it's it's kind of a catch twenty two. Like, yes, I, I I think he might be our best pure tackler on the team now, in terms of getting guys on the ground and being fundamental with his tackling. But he's small. Like, does that not freak you out at all? Like having a guy that's small like that in there, kind of getting involved in the run game like that. Uh, it does. Uh, but he's also small in the defense uh, quarterback too. That's true. That's true. I mean, you, you know, he is a small guy. You, you, you can't really hide him. He's got to be somewhere. And with his tackling ability and a guy who's not afraid to mix it up in the run game, I think it makes sense to at least give him a shot there and see what he can do. Um, but McGee looks really good out there, and so does Baker. They didn't really do anything to, to freak me out. They gave up a couple plays here and there, but nothing that was too alarming. Uh, Dom Sanders got injured, um, and he was – that and that's, you know, it doesn't like it's a very serious injury. Kirby seemed to downplay it after the scrimmage. But to, to me, one of the surprising thing, the most surprising things of the day was seeing who who was the first guy off the bench at safety to fill in for Dom, and that was J.R. Reed. He was really a guy that I thought that we just took to kind of put us in a better position to land D'Angelo Gibbs because they were cousins. But, man, I was thoroughly impressed with him. And Kirby talked about him a little bit in the post-scrimmage uh, press conference too. And I, I, I'll echo what he said, man. Like, it was my first time seeing Reed in action – but I'll tell you that like, he didn't. He's one of those guys that he's still young, doesn't know exactly what's going on all the time, and he made some mistakes. He blew some coverages here and there, but he made those mistakes going 100 miles an hour. He was not afraid to fly around and lay the wood on somebody, which is what Kirby seems to be looking for right now. Not everybody was doing that on Saturday, but J.R. Reed was. So I mean, he's he's still learning definitely, but he was flying around, playing 100 miles an hour, and I, I think he might be a guy that could possibly contribute for us down the line. Maybe this year. I don't know. We have a lot of depth coming back. We'll see there. Uh, I know a lot of you guys are interested in how the early enrollees look. Richard LeCount, D'Angelo Gibbs. Uh, they were both working pretty much exclusively with the second unit. Uh, LeCount was working at right safety for the most part. Gibbs was at star the entire time that I was out there watching him with the second unit. Uh, both guys are a lot like JRE in that they're obviously still very new and very much learning what to do and kind of adjusting to college ball. But they both did some things and clearly showed why they, why they were so highly rated. They flashed that ability. Uh, and I, I will say this about Gibbs, though, man. He looks like a senior out there in terms of his body. Like He's a really big-body defensive back that can run, flip his hips, and do everything you need to do athletically as a defensive back. I was just really impressed with how he looked on the hoof. 
But, um, I mean, he's definitely got some work to do in terms of mastering the technical aspects of the position. He was matched up with Miko a lot. Miko was working in the slot with the second unit most of the, most of the day. And then with uh, Gibbs working in the star with the second unit most of the day, they were matched up there. And Miko beat him a couple of times in some of those option-based routes when they were manned up together. And obviously, I'm not out there coaching D'Angelo, and I don't know the, all the calls that they were making, but it looks like he was having a little bit of trouble with some of the route recognition stuff and playing with the proper leverage. But, I mean, like, that's what do you expect? He's a true freshman here, been on campus for a couple of months, getting his first taste of college ball. Those are all things that he can fix with film study, getting more reps. So I'm not really worried about any of that because, I mean, him and LeCount both have the physical tools. They don't know what's going on right now. They'll figure it out, though. Uh, but, Kurt, with, with those three guys, with like J.R. Reed, with Richard LeCount, with D'Angelo Gibbs, do you see any one of them maybe making a move for a starting spot at some point between now and the season opener? Um, I think you could probably see him treating two freshmen. I think uh, while Reed could do it, I think they're looking at him more at safety. Yeah, he was playing safety. Yeah, he was definitely playing safety. That's where he was when he was and out there. That's going to be hard, hard for him to beat out Dom, where the other two are getting trained in Star and uh, Quincy spot. I think what we have to decide is okay. What do we like? Who do we like more? Do we like Tyreek McGee out wide at corner, or do we, are we do we feel more comfortable with D'Angelo Gibbs inside at star? Because Paris seems to have some position flexibility there, playing outside at corner or potentially playing in star. I think it's to come down to who do our coaches feel more comfortable with, McGee or Gibbs. That makes sense. Yeah, that's what it looks like down the road for me. But if one of them was to make a move potentially, in your mind, who is that starting DB out there right now? At least that's coming back from last year. Guys, we had Aaron Davis, Dominic Sanders, Malcolm Parrish, and DeAndre Baker. Those guys who ended the season as our starting DBs. Um, with, of course, uh, losing our uh, losing Marie Smith at star. So with four returning defensive backs. Of those four guys, who do you think's the most vulnerable in your mind to maybe possibly be unseated by one of these younger guys? Aaron Davis. Place, case closed? Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Just on a purely athletic basis, he knows what's going on. He knows the defense, and he's a guy that's a leader who can trust him. But athletically speaking, I think he – I don't want to say he's, he's not deficient. It's not the right word, but he's not even on the same level as, as some of the other guys that we brought in this year. We'll see. Uh, it's still not a bad for some of those young guys to beat him out. But I think you're right, targeting him as the guy. Maybe the ones – if there is a guy who's vulnerable, maybe he's the most vulnerable of those DBs. All right, guys, so that's off the top of my head there. That's what I've got for you. If you have some specific questions, uh, I'm sure there's stuff I'm missing and leaving out here, but feel free to, to hit us up on Twitter with any of those questions. Email us. If I didn't hit on one of the guys that you're curious about, I'll let you know what I saw, but didn't want to waste all your day here. But those are some of the highlights of what I saw. I really was encouraged, again, offensively by what I saw. Looked uh, much better than what we looked like last season. Again, just a scrimmage. We'll see. But look, definitely some encouraging signs. So defensively, I'm, not, I'm with you, Craig. I'm not too worried about it because um, you're going to have some rust there. We don't want to bring guys to the ground in spring practice up until you get to the scrimmage setting. So we'll see how that works out. we got another scrimmage this weekend. Of course, we have G-Day, which you will all get a chance to see what this team has to offer. So exciting times here for the next couple of weeks. But um, for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Thank you guys for listening. Like I said, hit us up on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. If you have any more questions, anything I missed that you were curious about, you can email us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. So check back with us later in the week. We'll have another show up on Thursday. As always, guys, go dogs.